1: Welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, it's a delight to do so with David Harsanyi. He is a, uh, senior, um, a senior editor at The Federalist, thefederalist.com. He has a set nationally syndicated columnist and uh, author of several books, most recently, Eurotrash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. He has a book on the Second Amendment, too. We'll get into some of that. His most recent piece, just up today anti-jewish sentiment is far from a one-party problem and I'll, I'll I'll work our way towards that um David thanks for joining us really appreciate you being with us
2: always a pleasure thanks for uh, having me
1: thank thank you sir um I don't know what more there is to be said from conservatives about The Donald Trump dinner with Fuentes and Kanye West and Milo Yiannopoulos, if I'm saying the name right. I mean, I I think most of it's been said. Um, I'll I'll just tell you what we said on this show was outrageous, unacceptable, uh, shows a lot of deep institutional problems in Trump's vetting or whether he's missing a step or his tone deafness. I, I don't know if you want to correct or add to any of that. I do want to get to how you looked at it in your column, though. Uh, So uh, feel free if you if you have anything to add about the dinner in and of itself from conservatives about the Trump dinner.
2: I don't know. I mean, I think you, you you hit it there. You know, either he knew who he was meeting with which is a problem. And obviously he knew Kanye was and what he had said, or he didn't know, which is also kind of a problem because he's the ex president. He's running for the president. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, he causes his own problems and I just don't feel like it's something that most voters want to really deal with because it's not really an important issue and it doesn't really represent the Republican party.
1: I I think all of that, I agree with all of that. And I, you know, I'll say one more thing. I, I mean, I think, a lot of people are focusing on the fact that Fuentes was there. Uh, awful, obviously, but yeah, I don't know that he should have met with Kanye in the first place. I, in fact, I, he shouldn't have. I, I mean, the, the ab initio this was a problem that Trump walked himself into. I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But now there is this ancillary thing, and I think you dispatch with it really well. Anti-Jewish sentiment is far from a one. Party problem. It's kind of an interesting thing to see all these left wingers lecturing us about the anti-Semitism in our party. And it's, you know, it goes without saying, maybe I just should say it. I I don't think Trump is an anti-Semite. I never have thought that. I, I, I think it's darn near impossible to conclude that he is, though people have tried to. But but that's what makes all of this so much the more interesting where the left has finally decided to raise its head from the rocket has been under and start lecturing us about this. This is what you're getting at, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Well, what, what sparked, I mean, what sparked my, uh, column, recent column on this, I've been thinking about this for quite a while is this Michelle Goldberg column in the New York times where she, she talks about how anti-Semitism has been mainstreamed, essentially blaming the right wing for all of it, um, in a very poor fashion <laughs> or unconvincing fashion, by the way. But, but, you know, fails, for instance, to mention, and and she's a New Yorker writing in a New York paper, or ostensibly a New York paper, um, doesn't even mention that there have been hundreds of attacks on Jews in Brooklyn and elsewhere in New York over the past five years, Um, and that is a serious problem of anti-Semitism that can't be blamed on Donald Trump or, or the rise of, you know, Trumpism or whatever. She ignores virtually, or she does ignore all the elected officials in the Democratic Party have said and acted in anti-Semitic ways. And, uh, you know, it just that just shows me that it's not a fierce concern with the problem. It's just a, a, a cudgel, you know, to, to 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 hit Republicans with
1: one of the uh, there's several interesting things in just that explanation. Uh, first of all, the anti-Semitism, the, the violent anti-Semitism, the kinetic, the the the, the brutality, uh-huh. the the violent attacks that you mentioned. It's not exactly a white supremacist issue, is it? Uh, it's anti-Semitism, but it's not white anti-Semitism. And that's been brushed under the rug, too, hasn't it?
2: Sure. I mean, it's just a fact that in, in New York, and there's a lot of camera footage of these attacks, typically, you know, in African-Americans or Hispanics who are attacking Jews in, in that city. It doesn't mean uh, that there aren't other, there isn't other kind of anti-Semitism, or if we were in another, you know, if there are many Jews in some other city, it wouldn't happen, but this is not. By the way, this is nothing new, as you well know. Right. This goes back decades and decades yeah, in New sure, York, sure. where I grew up, and yeah. um, and you know, so there are it's it's there are many levels to this problem. It's mm-hmm. not in, always an ideological uh, thing, you know what I mean. But it yeah. still exists, and really, the person who's being attacked probably doesn't really care wh- why you know uh, the anti-Semitism exists.
1: It is interesting, though, on that point, though, worth exploring intellectually for a moment, David. That yeah, th- this this was a real issue in the '60s: black Jewish, um, vi- uh, black on Jewish violence. Uh, Norman Podhoretz at Commentary spent a lot of time writing on it. People remember the Jewish Defense League for its anti-Soviet and pro-Soviet Jewry work, but it really started out on this issue, mm-hmm. and you know, it 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 kind of it it kind of was a sad chapter in black Jewish relations, given that so many black Jewish relations were so uh, united in civil rights for many years up into the late 60s. And then it kind of quieted, it kind of quieted down until, give or take, really the early 90s, late 80s with Al Sharpton kind of reviving this black anti-Semitism a bit. It is That's that's crude history, but it's it's mostly accurate, I think.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I mean, the JDL, the Jewish Defense League, started out with, uh, you know, later became sort of this goofy and sometimes, you know, just violent group. But initially it it started, you know, as a group that protected elderly Jews, for instance, who, who were being attacked often by African Americans, and you know, and it grew from there. But yeah, in the nineties, Al Sharpton, who now has a show on MSNBC right. where Michelle Goldberg right. appears, right. uh yet yeah, and, and other you know others who complain about uh, anti-Semitism who would never uh, challenge him to explain himself. uh Yeah, I mean, he was he was a part of a of a, of a group that you uh, know I don't know how much responsibility to place on his head, but certainly some level of responsibility for for deaths in New York and for rioting in New York and. Um, And yet, you know, he's he's perfect. He's a perfectly acceptable person to have a TV show on MSNBC.
1: So the weird thing about that part of this analysis, David, if I might again, you know, disagree with me if you if if I get anything wrong or or you think is worth disagreeing on. Al Sharpton kind of kind of trans 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 is transitioned himself from a New York Street kind of rabble rousing anti-Semitic thug into something looking much more respectable, getting TV shows. He lost weight. He put on a suit. He became. Uh, uh, he ran for president in the Democratic Party, I think, in '4. And he, he kind of had this gloss of respectability, at least among liberals, where Louis Farrakhan was then seen as the outlier, the extremist, the, the real anti-Semite if we're looking in, in certain precincts of black leadership, only for him now to be oddly mainstreamed.
2: Right, and and Al Sharpton, Al Sharpton transitioned into mainstream media in that way without ever having to answer for what he had done. Right. By the way, right. you know, right. it's it, and it never would have happened. Someone like David Duke, or you know, who he's a comparable figure to in my right. mind. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so far I can I mean, there are many people right now sitting in Congress, many eight something like that, who who have appeared at events. There, there, there are people on the Ways and Means Committee who have called Barackon a an outstanding human being, right? And and there, you know, and and there are you know Bill Clinton hugged him on a stage. Bill
1: Clinton right. hugged him on a stage about two years ago at Aretha Franklin's funeral.
2: Exactly, and uh, you know the former president. You know there was a pit picture essentially suppressed by the, by the press of of, of a, a candidate for the presidency, one Barack Obama, you know, hanging out with him and. Uh, which to me uh, is just as bad, if not worse, than than going to a dinner, whether accidentally or not, with with um, I call him Opie Himmler, but you know the the Fuentes uh, or whatever his name is. Which incidentally, we're giving this guy so much attention. Agreed. I don't think that probably ninety nine point nine percent of people ever heard of the guy before uh, Trump had uh, this lunch with
1: him. Agreed, and and that's why I believe Trump when he said he didn't know who he was. But then again. You know what kind of vetting system? I mean, you know, you've 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 worked for principals uh, of 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 greater name recognition than yourself as I have. We, you know, if someone is bringing some to lunch, we, you know, even at, you know, we kind of check the or dinner, we kind of check these things out. We kind of do these do you, vettings. Do
2: you, right? Do you think Ron DeSantis ever sits down with Nick Fuentes? I doubt. It.
1: Agreed. Agreed. It's it's just not going to happen. It's it's not going to come within, you know. 10 miles of happening. And right. again, too, while I do believe Trump on that score, the judgment of even giving Kanye West the audience, I think, was beyond the uh, beyond the pale and, and beyond the mark. Let me come back a little bit more on your piece when we come back. I want to talk to you about a few other issues in the news as well, as long as I have you. I am Seth Liebson. He is David Harsanyi. He is a senior editor over at The Federalist, The Federalist dot com is the website Uh, his most recent piece and all his pieces you can get there and uh, his most recent book euro trash why america must reject the failed ideas of a dying continent david and i'll be right back welcome back to the seth leapson show delighted to have david harsanya with us he's a senior editor at Editor at The Federalist. Uh, we're talking about his most recent piece, just in fact, up today. I love it when I get to interview people who write on the same day. For the left, anti-Semitism is little more than a partisan talking point. Uh, David, it comes as rich, um, if not precious, that conservatives need to be lectured on this stuff. Given what we have seen with um, respectable, longstanding leaders in the Democratic Party, not even, you know, putting their hands and arms around uh, Al Sharpton and 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 Louis Farrakhan, but around people that almost every Jewish organization, I think almost every Jewish organization to a T, has identified as 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 dangerously anti-Semitic. And I'm talking about other elected members of Congress, particularly uh, Ilan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. Um, we don't need these lectures, and it is odd. And a little sad to watch respected elder Democrats, or maybe once respected elder Democrats, apologize for them all the time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I keep reading. By the way, that uh, Ilhan Omar has apologized for for the things right. he had said never. about Jews. Right. But there was never really an apology. No. It was one of those "I'm sorry, you've been offended." Yeah. Apologies, <laughs> yeah. and then and then when the and then when the uh, the House passed uh, some kind of uh, I don't know what to call it. I mean, it was slap on the wrist. I mean, it was it was just this statement that included all kinds of bigotry, you know, that it essentially watered down, uh, you know, the whole point point of the exercise. So, you know, that's just something to be that we should remember that the and, and, and honestly, who cares? I don't even care if they apologize. It doesn't really matter. um I think Rashida Talib also has an ideological point, and mm-hmm. she doesn't have to apologize for it. We just, uh, but she is what she is, and it, it's worth mentioning. Do you think Kevin
1: McCarthy is right to seek their ouster from committees, as he said?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and not because of any kind of ideological reason. Because I think people are represented, and by you know they vote, and they're represented by these people. But that uh, you can't let Democrats. You can't have this unilateral surrender when it comes to the, the warfare in the House and the, the uh, Nancy Pelosi did the same thing to Republicans. So he, he should return the favor. And if they want to keep escalating, then that's a different story.
1: Now, I agree with everything you just said. And yet I have a huge worry. I have a huge worry that Ilan Omar is far more sophisticated than a lot of the Republicans are prepared for for this fight. Um, we have a, probably a mutual acquaintance in, in Ben. Uh, who, he wrote a book on her um, blanking on his name but uh yeah thank you wrote a book on her and and you know she is very sophisticated and knows how to use her intersectionality to turn these things around Hmm. really well i'm just a little worried about this fight that's all i want to have it i i would love to be at the head of it i would love you to be at the head of it i'm a little worried about the congressional republican leadership not being up for this fight
2: no, oh, I have 100 percent confidence that they're not up for this. Stage, oh, okay. You know? all right. All right. OK, all right. <laughs> but but okay. they still but they still need to, you know, but my position, at least is as little as it matters, is that uh, you cannot let these things flow in one direction. If, if if Democrats are going to start removing committee members because they don't, you know, for whatever reason they give unprecedented, by the way, I believe. Uh, Republicans need to return the favor or they're going to look weak and they're going to be treated worse, you know, the next time Democrats take over.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, And hopefully, you know, some of these things can be teachable moments. I mean, I I hope I really hope that the Republicans are up for this fight. I hope they take it seriously. And and the real point here is not for retribution uh, or equal uh, equating the score here. It's to get the Democratic Party to wake the you know what up to this stuff, to this crap, and say this is intolerable, and we're not just because you're in charge going to allow it anymore.
2: And Ilhan Omar, who who at one point called, the, uh, or, or equated the United States to Hamas yeah. as a terror state, yeah. has no business being on any kind of Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, totally agree. So I, I I think there's also so that aspect. A-
1: absolutely.
2: Yeah, a- absolutely, absolutely.
1: All right. Let me ask you, uh, speaking of – we were mentioning a little bit of an inside uh, fight at the top of the show, internecine battles here. Um, Mona Charon wrote an interesting tweet. Uh, It's kind of been sad to watch her slide and slip. Her dislike for Donald Trump is almost Jennifer Uh, Rubin-esque. Maybe I shouldn't use the word almost. I've seen Mona retreat from conservative position after conservative position Uh, But she put something up there today that just makes no sense to me. She just wrote, haven't we just concluded a test about fidelity to the Constitution, and didn't the GOP fail? Or was I thinking of some other plan? What what did the GOP fail in a constitutional test during this, I guess, election or something? I don't know what she's talking about.
2: I don't know what she's talking about, but the idea – that it is the democratic party that has shown fidelity to the constitution is just completely laughable. We have a president who essentially acts as a um, you know, I don't want to say, you know, whose 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 executive abuse has probably uh, been worse than any going back to maybe FDR or something like that. I mean, um or or maybe Wilson. So, he, you know, for her to make that claim is just part of this entire um, argument about saving democracy by, yeah. by having a one party state, which, uh, is, is definitely counterintuitive. In, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, so she's part of that. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I think that, that there are some people who are so obsessed with one person. It happens on both sides in some, in some ways, but they're so obsessed with Donald Trump, they're willing to bend all their principles for whatever, however they see that cause. And I think it's a far better way – The far better way to move forward is just to try to hold on to your principles no matter who's running and, and take issue by – take things issue by issue.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's right. You, you had mentioned Ron DeSantis earlier, and it would be int- – here here will be an interesting test. It, an interesting test will be an interesting test to see if the likes of Mona Charin, uh write positive columns about Ron DeSantis or if their antipathy toward Donald Trump is the same – you know how we kind of said about Joe Biden early on, his, 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 his ideal, his North, his North Star for policy is if Trump did it, we're against it. Um, and it'll be interesting to see because I don't think there's a lot of daylight between what DeSantis believes and what Trump supports as public policy, generally speaking. It'll be interesting to see if she has kind words to write about uh, the man who upholds everything she wrote columns about in the 1980s and 1990s.
2: I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. I think that those type of folks will transpose all their hatred yeah. and all their, yeah. uh, you know, anger towards uh, DeSantis. When, in honesty, I think there is some, obviously, some criticism that is worthwhile to be leveled at Donald Trump when it comes to not accepting election results and certain rhetoric he uses, and other things as well. I mean, I'm not a big fan or anything. But they'll pretend that Ron DeSantis is, is the same kind of person, except they'll say he's worse because he hides it better. Oh, <laughs>
1: down the conspiracy loophole. OK, Der- rabbit hole. David, can I keep you uh, just a little longer? I'd love to talk to you sure. about guns and the Biden administration. Can we do a little bit sure. on that? I am Seth and He is David Harsanyi, senior editor at The Federalist and an uh, and a author of many books, including a book on the Second Amendment. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. David Harsanyi is our guest, uh, author of several books, senior editor at The Federalist. One of them is a book titled First Freedom, A Ride Through America's Enduring History with the Gun. I was a little surprised, David, that Joe Biden is going back on the attack against what he calls assault weapons. Uh, We can get into his confusion of terminology of it. Um, semi automatic weapons etc after you know a- after seeing you know that the House of Representatives is not going to be his ally on this for the next two years, at least I don't think, and I don't expect is 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 this like their uh is this like their green new deal or the environmental policy for the Democrats? there's just nothing that'll take them off this issue or they owe something to some constituency. what is their obsession with going after? assault weapons, which is such a weird phrase that they came up with in the first place.
2: Well, I think all the things you just mentioned, for one, I, it probably pulls well because people don't really understand what it means mm-hmm. if you sort of get deep, deep, deeper into into what assault, or, you know, a semi-automatic rifle, and then people are probably far less inclined to want, to want to ban them. But it probably pulls well, so they think, you know, he thinks he can go back to it. And, uh, you know, he constantly makes the say He's been making the same dumb arguments for it for I don't know decades now, with the same um, complete misunderstanding of the Second Amendment, or purposeful misunderstanding, the same conflation of semi-automatic weapons as a whole, and uh, you know the the AR you know 15s and stuff like that. Uh, all of it is done on purpose in a way. And, and, and at now I just think it's kind of perfunctory for him to say the same things over and over again. But it's, it's almost surely not going to happen. And even if it did, it would be unconstitutional, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, of course, it would be, in my opinion, as well. Do you think we're going to see more if it won't happen legislatively or politically? Do you think we might see more of this effort to hold gun manufacturers legally responsible in, in, in what are called mass shootings, incidents, or deaths. Or, do you think we're going to see a push from the Democrats to do more of that sort of thing? I kind of think that's where they're going.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's where they're going. They've, If you've noticed, they've sort of gotten off the NRA yeah. lobbyist yeah. Uh, terror group yeah. stuff and yeah. gone more into the gun manufacturing mm-hmm. group, um, going after gun manufacturers. Uh, some states have already done that, so gun makers have moved. I, I saw there was a, a few big suits ongoing. I think that as well will be you know unconstitutional. It is you know, un- despite what Biden and other Democrats say, gun makers don't have any special protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the same protections as any other um, you know manufacturer does. But yeah, definitely, I think that that's the new uh,
0: the new strategy.
1: Yeah, I and 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 I think what's going to be interesting too is how they're going to react with a Republican Congress to these tragic incidents as they occur. My guess is more exploitation. That's my guess. In other words, I kind of see the Democrats um, going into a phase of more temper tantrums, if you will, elevating the rhetoric much further than they have, which is to me kind of a a hard thing to conceive of. But I think they're going to. I really do
2: yeah I mean, Chris Murphy from Connecticut's the leading gun restrictionist in the country, probably uh, the other day said that 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 Senate is going to have to look into how they can cut off funding because <laughs> he he, surely he knows the House is in charge of funding, but anyway, how the Senate can cut off funding to states that don't basically do what he wants, enforce mm-hmm. laws that he wants—that is, uh, you know, that is an author authoritarian outlook in this country, where states make their own laws on guns. They, you know, as long as they don't undermine the Second Amendment, which is what he wants them to do. So he, is, he wants to force and compel states to listen to the federal government on gun laws and undermine the Second Amendment. That is a bad you know, that's going to lead to some ugly places when states just ignore what the federal government is doing. And, uh, and you know, and it's going to be problematic.
1: Yeah, I, I think it is, too. And, I, 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 you know, I I think we're going to get farther and farther for, from the serious efforts to kind of solve these things, which is, I think, looking at uh, really not so much the trigger in the hand as the trigger in the head. I think this mental health issue and youth mental health issue, David, I think it is a huge, huge elephant in the room.
2: But, yeah, I want to mention, I mean, I, I, that's right. You know, the the, 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 refle- the reflex, again, is to go back to the same thing. Talk about these kind of bans that aren't even going to happen. And it, it takes attention away from maybe trying to solve the problem in other ways. You yeah. know, probably a whole menu of, of, of issues yep. that need to be dealt with rather yep. than one.
1: Exactly. Exactly right. I wonder if I could keep you one more segment if you have time. Um, I've been kind of doing this with a lot of my uh, national writers, and I don't think you and I have had a chance to do it. Kind of kind of get your overview of, of what, what what the election said, what it means, how it took, how it happened, the the midterms from a couple two three Tuesdays ago. Would you would you would you have time for sure. one more quick segment on that? I'd love to do sure. it with you. Sure. Thank you, David. David Harsanyi is our guest. He's a senior editor at the Federalist. His most recent book, Eurotrash: Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Leibson Show. David Harsanyi is our guest. He's a senior editor at The Federalist. Uh, With names like Leibson, uh, sometimes it's worth me doing this. I know uh, listeners have asked me before with certain guests. He spells his last name H-A-R-S-A-N-Y-I. David, H-A-R-S-A-N-Y-I. David Harsanyi. Um, David, I've been, as I mentioned, asking a lot of my guests who are national writers and 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 thinkers, uh, their views on the election, what took place three Tuesdays ago, what the message is, if there is one, what we should, as conservatives, think from it going forward. Take it any way you like, sir.
2: (laughs) Well, the American people, as they've done many, many times, have shown that you know they they like divided government because that's a a true organic reflection of where the country is. We're Mm -hmm. we're a country that uh, has a lot of. We have a lot of disagreements, and we can't really come to any compromise. So you have a government in D.C. that that reflects that in many ways. I think that's one of the things uh, the election told us. The other thing the election told us is that uh, nobody likes anybody. (laughs) (laughs) They they don't trust their own party. They don't trust their own party. They don't trust the other party. And people just kind of voted for whoever was there rather than change. I think that's part of it. And as far as conservatives go, I wrote a long piece on this. Um, A few weeks ago, Mm -hmm. but I just Mm -hmm. I think national conservatism, sort of populism that we're chasing with working class voters is a huge mistake.
1: I I read that Um, piece three times. I'm glad you reminded me of it. Go into that. Yeah, please.
2: I just there's a huge. Yeah, there are millions and millions of conservative voters out there who live who are dispositionally conservative, maybe not very ideological, who live in suburbs who the Republican Party has turned away from in their chase for for working class voters. But, the, you know, a shrinking demographic in this country um, with policies that are not very idealistic, that essentially promise to, uh, you know, to compete on the welfare front, to give people things, to, to, to have a government lift them up. Very statist ideas, in my opinion. It almost under, sounds like a Ross Perot party more than a Republican. party. Exactly. We have tried this with Buchanan years ago. And in nineteen ninety two, when the when the country was more socially conservative, when there were you know, when, when people were turning in that direction, it couldn't and did not win, and it won't, won't win in the future. These are very old ideas, they're not new, they're not exciting, and I think it's a mistake. And now we I think we've seen three elections in a row that it's a mistake.
1: The thing I can't quite understand, and I you and I are probably at various times we have our feet in this parts of these movements and parts out, and I've I've certainly been in and out of it, too. Um, The thing I can't quite understand from from what some of these people who are calling themselves national conservatives or members of the national conservative movement, there's this underlying and sometimes articulated criticism or at least abdication of Ronald Reagan by name. Hmm. And what's in... You've noticed it. You've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. And what's odd to me is this is a man who was actually able to get all those voters they seem to quest Mm -hmm. after um, without going down the roads that they go down. The idea of a Reagan Democrat was born out of exactly those precincts that Donald Trump picked up in 2016 so miraculously, like uh, Macomb, Michigan.
2: Yeah, absolutely right. Now, obviously... You don't want, you know, times are different, just dragging Reagan's oh, name sure, up sure, all the time. Oh, sure, sure. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so I get, I get why, why there are people, younger people quite often who, who don't like that, but they think that they've tripped on some new fantastic idea yeah. when it comes to, uh, you know, high tariffs and more status policies. This has all been tried and thought about before. Uh, Reagan did bring those people in because to me, populism as it's, um, defined today just means sort of chasing after what what certain you know demographics of people want or believe is good policy i don't think i'm not i'm not of course i'm a reagan fan in general but i'm you know other politicians have done this. there's there's another way to go about that Mm -hmm. that to convince to convince people that you have better policies that that will help them and that they will like you can't just keep chasing voters sometimes you have to uh bring ideas to them and try to convince them to to be part of a bigger movement now obviously Every party is a consensus of different groups and sure. factions and people with different concerns. I'm not saying abandon working class voters. I'm saying that there are better things than trying to compete with Democrats on how much you can give those voters or how much money you can spend on yeah. them. That. that is, you're never going to beat the progressive on that, in that on that field and that sport. They're always going to spend more than you. Yeah, 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 it's kind of my criticism of the
1: moderate Republicans like William Weld when he was thinking he had a constituency back after his governorship Mm -hmm. in Massachusetts and he ran for Senate against John Kerry in Massachusetts, really thinking he could do it. And I'm thinking, you know, I just don't understand why a liberal would vote for an 60 percent liberal when he can get 100 percent of a liberal. I've just, right. It's the same but, point, I think.
2: And that's my argument. Yeah. I mean, they call it zombie Reagan. Yeah. Right? yeah. But I, I, I say that zombie Reaganism was actually successful more than zombie Rockefellerism, yeah. or zombie Buchananism, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. So so I'm not saying that it should be packaged in the same way. I'm saying the idea is. If you believe in, in, in certain ideas and certain principles, they, ha- they are eternal, right? It's not like they run out, you know, they have a date. You know, there are different problems that we face, and, and, and they need to be applied to those problems. But the idea that we should just get rid of those ideas is, I think, a bad one.
1: You know, you and I spent uh, maybe three or four sentences in this interview mentioning or talking about Ron DeSantis. And I am, for what it's worth, a Ron DeSantis fan all the way. But there's another guy who I, I think is worth paying attention to, and that's Glenn Youngkin. I, the more I listen mm-hmm. to him, the more I am impressed, I have to tell you. I, th- yeah. this, this is someone who uh, who I think our movement would would do itself a disservice by dismissing too quickly.
2: Yeah, he's got a softer touch, but he's definitely uh, done done some good things. And I think the way that he concentrates on schools, yep. on on suburban voters, is yep. important. You never know how this going to. You never know how, how politicians translate to national states. Sometimes it works, and you and I have been through it enough. Where you know that everyone thought someone was going to be successful, let's say Rudy Giuliani, yeah, or something yeah. like that, and yeah. it didn't work. Yeah, um, never, so never won a never state. I, I don't think he ever won a state. Yeah, yeah, right. But you never know. You never know. But I think there are a new, numerous candidates who are quite interesting in this country who are good at management, at administering yeah. the government, yeah. making the government work, work right. I think voters want competency, and that's what's missing on so many levels yeah. right now. Yeah. I'm not saying it's the only issue. No, it's not the it.
1: only issue, but it sure does make a difference uh, when you have the ideology wedded to the competency. Uh, that was what they said about Reagan, actually, in his first term. He proved that after those Carter years, all those columns about the presidency being too big for one man, he proved that wasn't so. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I, I I think Ron DeSantis is proving it with Florida, and I think Glenn might do it with uh, with Virginia. There are others, but those, those, are, those are interesting states and interesting people to watch. You're always interesting to talk to and read, David Harsanyi. Let me thank you for your time, sir, as always. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You betcha. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be back with a closing thought. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. And thanks, of course, to uh, our sponsor, Y Refi. If you are concerned with stock market volatility, you can invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market, thanks to our friends at Y Refi, It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily. You are paid monthly, and there are no fees. It's a secure, collateralized portfolio, that delivers a fixed interest rate of up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, up to 10 and a quarter percent. Check them out at investyrefi.com. It's the word invest, the letter Y, then REFY.com. Or give them a call at 888 YREFI 34. 888 YREFI 34. A due diligence approved firm. You talk to these guys, you're not going to get a sales pitch. They leave that up to people like Larry Elder and myself. Uh, and um, what you will get is a bunch of great guys who love talking about what they 're doing and letting it speak for itself. Uh, lay down a marker here. this is going to be interesting to watch. I mentioned it about a week ago. I had an op ed in the Arizona Republic with my buddy Steve Twist on the chronic homelessness problem in Phoenix, the worst of the worst in the situ- in the area we call the zone around Ninth Avenue in Jefferson. Uh, interesting people sometimes what's the old Paul Simon lyric people hear what they want to hear and disregard the rest happens with reading too got a lot of feedback from people saying oh you just want to go lock people up with more police which is not what we wrote Um, but um, you know for those that are such casual readers that's what they wanted I guess me to write so that they could tear us down or criticize us but they're going to have a bigger problem Because Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, uh, just announced today that he is proactively going to pick up nonviolent, mentally ill homeless people and institutionalize them. This is a watershed moment. This is a big damn deal to keep your eyes on. It's going to generate a ton of lawsuits, a lot of interest. And it's interesting that the first person, the first mayor to avail himself of these abilities within the law is a liberal democrat um yeah there will be lawsuits i mean you know the aclu never stopped suing you know the liberals democrats of new york city in their day the mario cuomos and edward Koch's. but it's interesting that a democrat started this um and it's got a lot of delicate aspects to it uh there's some iffy aspects to it but what an interesting start. Watch, watch what happens here. As I say, we're laying down a marker. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. Have a great rest of your evening. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Leapson. God bless you all. Class is dismissed.